unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my Great to see you. I hope you had a good day today and glad that you could come back and be a part of our Bible study tonight. We're studying in the book of Leviticus tonight. We're actually looking at five books. These are general surveys. My expectation is that you're reading these books on your own and I'm just trying to give an overview, general idea of what's happening in the books. So we're in Leviticus tonight. There, there are a lot of sick that we want to be remembering in our prayers. And, and I jotted down a few that are immediate concerns. I got one extra name tonight of somebody that's a concern of our congregation or a member here. Uh, one is Joan Mormon. Joan thought that she had injured her ankle but they ended up doing some research higher up on her leg and determined that she had two breaks in her leg. And that made her bit fast for a while. Uh, she knew it was broken, she said, because when she stood on it, she could tell the bones were grinding together. Ugh. Okay, that's a pretty good indicator. <laughs> but uh, she's gotten a scooter now. Have you seen those? You know, kind of, kind of put your knee on it. So she's beginning to navigate with that some, and we're very thankful. But it's going to take how many weeks, Luther? Four months. A long time. So you know how active they are. This is a real setback for them. So please be praying for Joan and her recuperation. Also, Kevin, okay, so two weeks ago, Kevin Cook was here, had his arm splinted up. Yeah, I'm going to have surgery Wednesday. They postponed it. He comes in today, didn't even have it on there. So we're like, we must have had the surgery. No, he hadn't had it yet. So I don't know if he was looking for sympathy earlier or what. But he, he is scheduled to have his surgery this Wednesday. So we are praying that Kevin's surgery goes well and that he can recuperate. Pat Green also had her surgery postponed and I don't, don't know when that's going to be rescheduled. We'll just have to wait and see about that. Bridget Williams was sharing with us that a friend of hers, Mariana Cherry, she has a brain tumor, uh, actually several brain tumors and in very critical condition uh, is asking us please to be praying for her. She's been dealing with cancer before. This is a reoccurrence. Of course, now it's much worse. So please keep her in your prayers. And then Guy wanted me to remind you that there is not going to be the K through six event at the park tonight. 
it's going to be in the annex. I don't know if you noticed it rained today. It rained a lot and they just feel like, you know, with the threat of more rain, just be better to have it over here. So your kids are in that, your grandkids, whatever. Just please make sure that they're at the right place tonight. That's still going to go on just in the annex. Okay, uh, I think that's all that I have about that. Anybody else have something pressing you'd like to add? Okay, let's sing a song. Oops. Who? Okay. Okay. Yeah, there, there have been some deaths in our family, our church family. Um, so we want to remember those folks that are also grieving. Appreciate that, Sue. Okay, let's sing a song. We'll sing it. It'll become apparent while we're singing it later, I think. Number 47. After we sing this, we'll have our prayer and then we'll begin our, begin our study together. Number 47. Oh, 
Our Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for your blessings today. We're thankful for the rain that's been falling. It's been attending and nourishing the ground. I'm sure there are many who prayed for this rain after a dry spell, and we just thank you for it, the answer to prayer. We thank you, Father, for the privilege it was to worship together as a family in spirit and in truth this morning to have some who've been sick return to us. And we're thankful that the threat of the sickness is less than before and we're just praying your protection. We thank you, Father, for your blessing of our health and strength that enables us to be able to be here tonight. But we also sympathize with those who are suffering. We pray your blessings on Joan Mormon as she's recovering from her broken leg. It's going to require a long time of recovery. We just pray, Lord, that all that time will be an investment that will result in healing for her and return to normal function with her leg. We pray, Father, for Kevin Cook, who's planning to have surgery this week. We pray it will be a great success. We also pray for Pat Green as she's facing some surgery. And we pray, Lord, for her health, that it will get better every day. We ask your blessings on Mariana Cherry and her family as she's been diagnosed with further complications of cancer. And Lord, we pray that there's something that can be done to alleviate the symptoms that she's experiencing and that she can be whole again. And we, we know of folks here that have suffered loss, loved ones in their families, and even here with Adrian's passing and we just pray, Lord, your comfort on those who are mourning. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with um, Rick's cousin that had that terrible accident with his tractor. And we pray for his recovery. And just so many others that probably uh, we're thinking about in our minds that we don't mention, but we know how they suffer. And I pray you'll use us to bring encouragement to them, to be a support. Lord, please also bless us now as we study from your word again. Help, help us to have a good understanding of how this particular book fits with all the other wondrous things that you've done, and of just the constant reminder of your holiness and of your requirement that we be holy. Lord, we strive to please you in 
I just pray that we can equip ourselves to such a degree that we'll be able to accomplish it with your help and the confidence that we have in our relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do on our behalf to make these things possible in fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, again, kind of my intention is that we'll be reading these books together. This will serve just as an overview. And in, in, my, in my mind, maybe kind of as a help to prompt or encourage us as we're studying these books, make it a little more, I don't know, a little more understandable, at least the, at least the big picture of it. I think sometimes that's the thing. Just kind of understanding how all of this stuff fits together in the big picture so that we have a greater appreciation for what God has done throughout history in order to make possible our salvation. These are things that happened, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. And now we still benefit from all that was happening then. So the things that we were written before, were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's, that's about us. We look at what happened to them. We see how God interacted with them, how God carried them, God's mercy and grace and love and all those attributes that we love about God that we see exemplified through these texts, especially. All that is ours. We can experience too. The book of Leviticus is a great book that you know, has within its contents a lot of instruction. Now, up until now, we've been reading through two books that were very much narratives, just describing events that were happening, seeing into the lives of faithful individuals as they were doing their part in the scheme of God to bring about the fulfillment of his promise in those early years. And when we come to the book of Leviticus, if we were already geared up that way, we might hit this book thinking we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to fly through this. This is going to be, that's going to be great. Oh, I can't wait to see the interesting stories in this book. I don't know about you, but many years ago, I used to get on one of those read through the Bible programs. Maybe you do that. And, you know, you read a, a portion of scripture every day or something. Well, I remember like reading through Genesis and Exodus, I didn't even want to stop at the prescribed group of chapters. I'm like, this is so interesting. I just want to keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. By the time I got to the book of Leviticus and started reading it, I thought, boy, I'm glad I banked a lot of chapters because this is laborious reading. It seems like a lot of it is repetitious. I don't know what in the world this has to do with me, but I'm committed to reading through this. So I'm going to do it. And it just, it's just like, oh, it's just a labor and heavy. And if you've started it already, you may start feeling that way yourself. It only has 27 chapters in it. It's, a, it's basically a short or at least a shorter book of the Old Testament scriptures. But that thing can be so heavy because it's just an instruction book. It's a code book. And I just read on and on and on about procedures and going through that just tends to just wear us out. Well, there's a reason why the book is written the way it is. And you kind of get, kind of get, 
from the title a little bit of what is going on with the book. Okay, so here is the southern pronunciation of a Hebrew word. Waikra. Anybody know what Waikra, that long time Hebrew word might mean? Pardon? Nope. <laughs> good, good guess. Okay, I'm trying to condition you here. It just doesn't seem to be working. Like with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah. You remember that the Hebrew canon titled each one of these books according to what scripture in those books? The very first verse. So the title generally came from like the first phrase out of the book. So if you were to look, for instance, at Leviticus chapter one, the first little phrase out of that book, you will find the definition of the word Waikra. And what is that definition? If you read the uh, introduction in my Bible, it says, and he called. Okay, and he called. Um, some translations have the word now, which is similar to what happened in Exodus. It's doing what with the story? Connecting it, right? And or now, all, all those books are, all those words are connecting words. So we're connecting to what just happened. They ended up there at Sinai, they're getting the tabernacle all geared up, and then it's like time stops. And here's the book. Now, he is God, and he's calling someone. And in this text, we find out that God is calling Moses. Moses is the one. Moses is going to be offering up some burnt sacrifices and so forth. So we get the hint of what is about to happen. But just, just as, as regards the title of the book, right there out of those first few uh, words of the text is that title, Waikra. But you say, that's not what we call it. So how else was this book designated? Well, I don't know if you are familiar with what's called the uh, Talmud. Anybody know what the Talmud is? Well, that's the Torah. Very close, though. <laughs> okay, the Talmud is similar to that. You remember Jesus talked about the hedge that, like, the Pharisees and Sadducees put around the law? You know, there's the law, and then it was called the hedge around the law, the supplementary... Not God's supplementary laws, but man-made laws. The Talmud was the supplementary laws that like the elders of the land wrote to keep people from actually breaking the real law. And sometimes that created problems, right? Because they would call a sin something that God never called a sin. They would make restrictions that God never made. A lot of that is actually included in the Talmud. Now, the Talmud reflects on these first five books of law. And when it talks about the book of Leviticus, kind of interesting, it refers to it as the law of the priests, which would tell you what about the book? Okay, it's probably for the Levites, specifically a segment of those Levites being the priests. Not every Levite was a priest, but every priest was a 
Levite. Okay, so they were a small section of the Levites. Some, sometimes it referred to this book as the law of the priest. Sometimes it referred to it as the law of the offerings. Does that tell you anything else about the book? Okay, sacrifices, exactly right. So we got a couple of hints right here pertaining to the Levites or more specifically the priests the ones who were the facilitators of worship to God, and then the offerings or the thing that is offered, which then signifies the sacrifices that were being made to God. Okay, that gives you a hint about the book as the Talmud was titling it. And then in the Greek language, the title is actually Leviticon, which literally actually means as pertains to the Levites, okay? And then there's the Latin Vulgate. Anybody know what the title from the Latin Vulgate is? Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that's the one we use, right? It's actually, the English takes it from, from the Latin Vulgate. Now, to me, it's kind of funny because sometimes, sometimes the title comes from the Greek. Sometimes it comes from the Latin. Sometimes, we don't know where it's coming from. But here's what I would like it to do once in a while as it did with the book of Genesis, the, the origins, that makes sense. That book is filled with origins, right? All those origin stories. And then Exodus, uh, the idea of departing or leaving or deliverance. Hey, great, great title. I love it. Leviticus. Oh, as pertains to the Levites. Beautiful. Except that what pertains to the Levites is a very small part of this book. It is actually what pertains to the priests and their function. So it is that when you read this book and you get bogged down with all of the, all of the ritual and the functions that were associated with the priest, you just get to like, ah, please stop. So let's fit this thing within the plan that's been laid out so far. And this will be. Yeah, and I know you love these, so I thought I'd just throw this in for tonight. Let's have like a mini quiz. And I'm going to say, all right, somebody, somebody give us a synopsis of what was going on in the book of Genesis. What, what is a quick description of what God was doing in the big picture of things? What was God doing in the big picture of things over there in the book of Genesis? What was he setting up? Creation. Okay, creation is a, is a big thing, but creation was an event that happened and then that was it. I'm talking about something that is a part of a big scale plan. It just kept going. Okay, the matter of redemption very much fits the story of Exodus. But Genesis does what? Okay, it lays out the promise. Why do we need a promise to start with? Because Adam and Eve did what? They sinned. Oh, we're just, aren't we disappointed in them? That they were given one command and they committed that one sin. Shame on them. I just kind of laugh to myself sometimes thinking, if only, if only I could live my life and only commit one sin and its consequence. But typically, people feel as though they're constantly bumping into sin. 
and falling prey to temptation. From the very beginning, as it was then, and the temptation in the garden, so we notice from 1 John chapter 2, the same is true now. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are very active. So sin happened there. It seemed as a great defeat. However, God already, already has a plan in motion, and he initiates that plan. It's going to be a seed promise, and that promise is made to Abraham. And by the time we get to the end of the book, what have we already started to see? The full fulfillment of the plan. Because not only does he have a descendant, Isaac, but Isaac also has descendants, and we go to Jacob. And when Jacob has his children, he sets the stage for the entire plan of God to unfold as regards a nation. All the tribes, all the families of Israel are represented. They are sojourning there in the land of Egypt. By the time the book of Genesis closes, everything seems fine except they're on their road. They're, they're, they're on their way to the promised land. They hadn't got there yet. When we open up the book of Exodus, then we have exactly what JT says, a story of incredible redemption. So what is the big picture as regards the redeeming of God's people in the book of Exodus? Okay, they were. Initially, they're in slavery. They're in bondage. But God had said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But are they a great nation? <laughs> you know, there, there are people way over there in the land of Goshen that are despised by their, their uh, keepers, the Egyptians. Now they're fearful of them. They're going to get so great. They're going to overpower us. Boy, we're going to have to oppress them. And they cry out to God. And God remembers his promise that he had stated from the beginning. Now it's time to initialize and continue this plan. So 400 years have passed. The people are ready. And God sends 80-year-old Moses to deliver these people. And how? Despite... The feelings of inadequacy, he leads those people triumphantly out of their Egyptian bondage. And now they are well nigh unto securing what God had promised from the beginning. Except now that we're going to have a little stop there at Sinai. God is going to present his Ten Commandments and all of the supporting laws that accompany that. And those people, you can already see that there are chinks in their armor as God's people, but God's still bearing with them. He hasn't destroyed them yet, even though they've worshipped an idol that Aaron helped to participate in. Aside from all of that, now, by the time we get to the end of the book, we're working with the tabernacle and we are at Sinai. Boy, things are about to happen. Here in the book of Leviticus, however, as I said, we hit the bricks. And as we're hitting the brakes, we are stopping to think, okay, this God that we are serving is a holy, holy God. So we're going to have to approach and address this God in the way that he prescribes. God then sends to them the, basically the message that we have here in the book of Leviticus. 
It's called Leviticus, but it's not really that which pertains so much to the Levites as it does to the activity of the priests and the offerings associated with the work of the priests for the very express purpose of taking an unruly and unholy people and ascribing to them a degree of holiness on the basis of a flow of blood that is found throughout this book. Now, I will say this. Some people don't like to read the book of Leviticus because it seems very monotonous. There's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of stuff we don't understand. There's mention of things that we don't use anymore. But another reason that people don't like to read this book is because it is a bloody, bloody book. But in the, what seems to be to us, the archaic practice of the bleeding of animals and the sacrifice of their lives as abhorrent as that might be to a modern mind, I suggest you read it anyway. Because in reading that, as sickening as it may be, there is the precursor, there is the shadow of things to come. If you can appreciate how intense, how awful the experience of animal sacrifice was, then you can catch a glimpse of how awful was the event of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it helps, I think, to give us a greater appreciation of the sacrifice that Jesus made just through the piling up of sacrifices. It is said that, especially during the time of Passover, when there was such an onslaught of death of those animals, that the blood was to the ankle of the priests as they moved around in the tabernacle and the temple places, just like a just like a river of blood. Okay, so Leviticus stands as that. I want us to understand also, this is not a narrative book. You know, you read it, it's not really a story story. It's not something where we say, well, these characters really meant something to me in this book. It's not like that. It's very, it's very generic in those terms because what was going to be, what was going to be taught this first generation until such time as Jesus came was going to be replicated how many times further? I don't have a number for you, do you? Over and over and over and over and over again. So this book is filled with lots of instruction, a lot of stuff that maybe sometimes we don't grasp, the things that we have to hear over and over again. But I'm telling you that his book is powerful because it reminds us of things that are important, especially about Jesus and his sacrifice. Okay, so I want us to think a little bit about the message of the book, understanding initially that a lot of what this tries to do is to talk about things that are set apart. We sang the song, Holy, 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 just for that reason. And whether you take it from the setting of the song where you're in the, the throne room of God and you see God's majesty, or whether you take it from the depictions in the book of Revelation where God is exalted and he is at war with his enemies, 
or whether you think of what's depicted here, God is always exalted and worthy of intense worship. And when God was to be worshipped, there was within a... Now keep, keep this in mind, the Israelites themselves were a set-apart people, right? Isn't that true? Not your head this way? Yes, they were set-apart people. God's special people. God's, God's children. Well, within that set-apart people was also a set-apart people. In fact, you know that Levi was one of the original heads of a family, but Levi is set apart as his own special instrument for the worship of God and replaced by two tribes that would have been Joseph, that is Manasseh and Ephraim. So Levi is set apart as kind of the 13th tribe of, of the 12 main tribes. That tribe did not have its own territory and had basically no way of making its own living. So there are two things that set them apart as a tribe or as a people. One of those was tithes. We read a lot about the importance of the giving of the tithes and how not only were they responsible for 10% of what came into their possession, but then following that, there were all kinds of other we would basically call them taxes, but other gatherings of money for the purpose of supporting this extra tribe, the, the Levitical tribe. That Levitical tribe was set apart for special service to God, set apart as kind of the holy function. So set apart were they that they were given their own cities from the other tribes. Now, think about the other tribes. They had their own territories, basically their own nation, right? Uh, uh, their state, their, 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 their inherited lands. Levi didn't have those. Levi had cities that were designated within the territories of all of the other tribes so that the tribe of holiness, the set-apart tribe, could be influential in every one of the other tribes. Not one, not one place set apart over here, but kind of sprinkled throughout the entirety of the nation itself. Somebody look up Numbers chapter 35 and verse 7. Numbers 35 and verse 7. Quickly, who has that text? Okay, they were given how many cities? Okay, they were given 48 cities. They were given those cities all interspersed and directed all throughout the territories of Israel so that there would be a representation in every place. Every time you came to that city, what would you think? I know that this city is inhabited by Levites. So that city is supposed to be, now I'm not saying it was, <laughs> but it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when the, you know, when the high priest was dressed up, do you remember what was written across the turban that he wore on his head, which was visible to everybody? It said, are y'all okay? We need to stand up and stretch or do some jumping jacks or something like that. Across the turban, it said, holiness to the Lord, Right holiness to the Lord. Now, can you think of some of those high priests that weren't very holy? 
You probably could. In fact, especially as time progresses, they become more and more wicked. And a lot of the prophets are constantly talking about how corrupt those priests are. Nevertheless, when you looked at the priest, even though he might be a scoundrel, what did he represent? He represented God. He represented holiness. Okay, same thing with these cities. When you come across one of these cities, it may be it may it may be a terrible city, but you know that as far as society goes, holiness resides right here. Holiness to the Lord. So you have these 48 cities. Now, someone also look up Joshua chapter 21 and verse 19. What does that text say? Joshua 21 and verse 19. Okay, now there's 13 cities. You say, wait a minute, uh, for the Levites, there were 48. Why does he say there were just 13? Well, there's an obvious answer right there, isn't there? Whose cities were those, Jerry? Sons of Aaron. Who's Aaron? Aaron's the high priest. Who are the sons of Aaron? They're going to, okay, either one of those in line will become the high priest or they become the functional priests that are going to be administering the most sacred of those rites or functions. So they were designated 13 very special cities among those 48. Again, representative of all that was happening, scattered about so that Israel could look upon itself and no matter what happened to them, they would always be reminded that in the midst of us, always, always is holiness to the Lord. Okay, so we got those cities. Interesting. You know, when you think of holiness to God, there is, I'm going to call it, the essence of the book. But there's a text in the book of Leviticus that just kind of gets to the heart of the holiness matter. And I'm going to ask you as it's read how it rings a bell with you. Somebody read Leviticus 11 and verse 45. It's actually the last part of that verse. I'll call it. Sometimes you'll see this kind of nomenclature from me. Some, and someone asked me about this today. They saw I wrote a text in it. I think this morning it was Matthew um, 20, verse 25, FF. What does the FF mean? Well, that has to do with the following verses. If it has one F after it, it means just the next successive verse. Now, here in this text, if I say, um, for instance, Leviticus 11, verse 45, B, then I mean that's like, the first part of the verse is A, second part of the verse is B. If it's a C, then I mean, okay, break that into thirds, and that would be the third part, okay? So the B part, the second part of that verse reads what? Okay, here's the essence of the book. That is not the only time that that is stated, but that is, if you want to boil this book down, it all is kind of bearing on this. God says what? You be holy. Why should I be holy? Because God is holy. Why does that make a difference? Why can't he just be holy and I be less than that? 
Okay, these are God's people, God's special called out people. God is like no other. God is a perfect God. And if God is going to be dealt with, then, okay, you say, I'm not perfect, but God has given me a procedure or a means by which in my imperfection, I can go through this process and then that can be accepted by God as perfection. That becomes, in effect, a substitute for my lack of perfection, my imperfection. Okay, here's an imperfect people, but they can address a holy God by doing the things that he prescribes. Now, this is a side note. You didn't pay anything extra for this. But one, you know, some people will argue that we can just give God any old thing we want to so long as our heart is right. Is that true? That is absolutely not true. Jesus said, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Men are imperfect. So if I'm going to address a perfect God, I'd better address him in the vehicle that he says address him in. In other words, we're clothed with something as we approach God. Because if we're not clothed with something, then all we present to him is our imperfection. So we clothe ourselves with the very things that he prescribes. And I just say that to make this point. If God says you use an instrument of music to worship me, then you had better do what? You'd better use one. But if God doesn't prescribe that and he says rather you sing, then if you approach a holy God as an imperfect person, you had better do what? You had better sing. Because the holy God has decided what vehicle he accepts as holy. You bring something else and you will have this from Leviticus chapter 10. Someone read verses 1 and 2. Now we're talking about addressing a holy God. God says, I'm holy, you be holy. Is God serious about that? God is, uh, Luther says, very serious. Luther, I want to add, he's deadly serious. He is deadly serious about that. Someone read Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. Okay, you know what profane fire is? It's defined right there in that text. It's, it's foreign. It is that which God did not command. That's what, you know, we can argue all we want to about what made that fire profane. But right there in the text tells us exactly what made it profane. What made it a profanity to God is that he didn't command it. And when they offered it, did God say, well, you know, at least they're offering me something. Shake your head this way. No, didn't you hear what happened? What came from heaven? Rain? Fire from heaven. And what happened to those boys? They were burned up. Now you wait, whoa, stop. That, aren't those guys Aaron's sons? Aren't those the priests set apart? Maybe one of them's going to become the high priest. Why didn't God cut them some slack? He means business. Because God is holy. And if you come to a holy God, you better bring holiness. 
If you bring profanity to a holy God, what will happen? You will most literally burn. Okay, our time has flown away. And as is our practice, look, um, every, every service we're given an opportunity. Anybody that needs to respond, maybe something was said this morning. Maybe you've been studying through the day. Uh, you need prayer of this congregation or you need to obey the gospel. We have some elders here that would love to talk with you. El elders that are here, raise your hand. Here's one. Right over there is one. There's three of them in here. So you've identified where they are. They're in a triangle. If I look over this way, it's, uh, it's one of those perfect looking triangles. Okay, those 90 degree types. So you see one of those if you would like to counsel with one of the elders. Or, or you can speak with me. Uh, if there's anything like that, when we dismiss, I, I would encourage you to make your way to them. In addition to that... There might be someone here this evening that was not able to partake of the Lord's Supper. We will also make that available to you in the chapel. So after we have our prayer, if you'll make your way to the chapel, you can be served. Again, thank you so much for being here tonight and for encouraging our study. And I just I hope that the short little overview of things will be helpful as you go about reading it and as hard as that sometimes seems to be, especially with Leviticus, maybe just kind of having a bigger picture of what all it's about, the holiness, the set-apartness of people that approach God, maybe that'll be helpful to you. I hope so. Next week, we'll continue our study uh, further. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity we've had to study together and to prepare ourselves for further reading of your word. And I I just pray that that word becomes alive and useful in us. And despite these being instructions and rituals and procedures for a time past, I pray that we can see in that what you are foreshadowing for us in Jesus, in our, our relationship with him. I know, as we all do, that you have instructed us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, we know that we can approach you through Jesus. And that's what you see. A holy picture of your son impressed upon us. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made that makes it possible for us to call you father, to be your adopted children. Lord, we'll, we'll never be able to thank you enough for the privilege of all of that. I pray, Lord, that you will keep us safe through the night. And if it's your will that you'll give us a new day, I pray that we'll use it to your name's honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.